the only way to score is of course to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic to discuss the current psychodrama that is Arsenal Football Club. I'm joined this week by the writers for The Athletic, Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas and Art de Roche. Yes, like Mikel Arteta, we've freshened things up a bit with a bit of youth. This is not to say, of course, that Lee Dixon was in any way letting the side down, but with the podcast coming thick and fast during the Christmas period, we felt we needed some legs in the middle. Hello, everyone. Hello, Matt. Hiya. Hello, nice to speak to you all. Now, it's one year, as we all know, one year since Mikel Arteta was appointed as Arsenal manager and it's safe to say it's not been all plain sailing for him, the club or indeed the wider world. The Athletics surveyed our readers on some of the bigger questions regarding Mikel's reign and the answers are up on the website this morning. Some of them may surprise you. We'll get into that in a short while. Before we do that, our opening question for the panel is that realistically, when Mikel got the job, where did you hope Arsenal would be a year on? Uh, James, did you have 15th and hanging on for a draw at home against Southampton? <laughs> not quite. No, not no? quite. I think if, if the question is, what did I hope? Um, I think with a, a dose of realism I and a heavy dose of optimism, I hope that Arsenal would have kind of reclaimed their top six standing, shall we say, Um you know, I wouldn't have gone as far probably as, as top four or anything like it, but maybe sort of established themselves in the top six. So we are a way off uh, my expectations, but maybe I was, you know, caught up in myself. Maybe I was too optimistic. I don't know. Art, what about you? Where do you hope, realistically, Arsenal would have been a year on? It's similar. I think when Mikel first took charge, I was uh, hoping for a Europa League finish through the Premier League. Obviously, we... Arsenal got that through the FA Cup final, which was a bonus, I guess, but maybe papered a few over a few cracks at the time. And going into this season, again, I, I didn't think Champions League was a, a realistic expectation through a league finish. And my expectations were to, as James said, maybe establish, uh, establish themselves back in the top six, which <laughs> obviously hasn't happened as of yet. Not as of yet. Amy, maybe the problem in this question is is the word hope, isn't it? Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I I don't know. We're, we're, it's weird to reflect on a year ago because apart from anything else, I'd, I'd have hoped we were still watching football as a crowd. Yes. Um, so it's so strange when you try and think about what's happened since. And it feels like extra long time ago, I suppose, because this year's been uh, a, a, a mental year in so many ways for... Uh, life as we know it in football and outside um i guess similar to the boys really i don't think anyone was expecting or hoping for real miracles i was hoping for a bit of a cultural shift which came to start with and was very very welcome i was maybe hoping for a bit more squad turnover which i think wasn't necessarily the fault of Mikel Arteta or the club because of the complications around uh, the way the world is at the moment and i was maybe hoping uh, I think for a, a, a sense of, you know, unity um, where it felt like everybody would be pulling in the right direction and it would there would be a recognition of the size of the job in hand um, because, uh, you know, Arteta picked up a, a difficult situation as did his predecessor to an extent. Um, but yeah, it, it feels strange to look back at a year ago. I think one of the things about the survey that was so interesting is um, the question of, you know, how encouraged you were by that appointment was overwhelmingly in Mikel Arteta's favour. So it does tell you that everybody was ready for something new, something fresh, something that we could connect with. Uh, and I think all those things were there to start with. Um, it's just been sustaining it. That's the tricky one. Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I would just use one word. Stability is what I was hoping for after four managers in, um, I don't know, however long it is, a couple of years, uh, just a little bit of calm. But um, obviously that has not materialised or, or it did for a while, as you said, Amy, and then um, seems to have gone a little bit backwards. Uh, before we crack on, uh, if you decide to subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. 
It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and sign up. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. I mean, we're talking about this because it has been a year since Mikel Arteta was appointed. Uh, the survey, as we just Amy just talked about there, published on the Athletic website this morning, makes for very interesting reading. We thought we'd discuss some of the results. Um, I mean, the first one that came up, were you encouraged when Arteta was appointed one year ago? Um, overwhelmingly, as you said, Amy, um, uh, 87, almost 87% said yes. Um, James... I mean, I'm assuming. I'm assuming, by the way, that all three of us were in, all four of us, sorry, were encouraged by that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you were still reeling for your, from your Mourinho disappointment, obviously, but I, I, I was encouraged. <laughs> I, I think. The, I mean, reeling, reeling is a strong word. Re- uh, grieving, grieving, maybe, maybe yeah. a, a little bit. In um, I know. I, I was uh, encouraged because I. And, and part of that is that Arteta was a bit of a blank slate. You know, you can kind of project things onto him because he was a guy who was coming in without a track record. So, you know, in theory, he could have been anything. And uh, given his background, given his pedigree, um, I thought it was a really sensible appointment. And the other thing to say is that what he did early on in the job, I think, was genuinely impressive. You know, he corralled this group of players into a string of performances um, and some particularly memorable ones, of course, an FA Cup along the way, that I mm. didn't think was achievable necessarily uh, in such a short space of time. So uh, as much as I am um, really concerned by what's happening at the moment, I think there's also an extent to which uh, Arteta is a little bit a victim of his own success in that coming off the back of that FA Cup win, I think everyone looked at this season and thought, well, that's such a fantastic platform and I think great springboard yeah and everyone's hopes were up and I think some of the transfer business we saw the money come in from the owners to sign someone like Thomas Partey and obviously it's just absolutely crumbled really since then Um, but at the start I was definitely optimistic I would have been part of that 87% yeah, Amy, um, I mean, it's interesting that the second question was, is Mikel Arteta the right Arsenal manager for the long term? Only 56.7% yes. I mean, do you think that's partly to do with the last six, eight weeks? And, Absolutely. And, uh, and I the mean, drop-off? timing is almost everything in uh, in things like, like this. And there was someone who went on Twitter when uh, we advertised the, the survey and went, well, this is just a stupid time to do a survey. And it was like, I, I understand. Um, and it, it, it feels quite a cruel time. I mean, it happens to be a year of Arteta uh, on Sunday. Yeah. So therefore, I think it felt like an appropriate time to mark how people felt. It, it's not really anybody's fault um, outside the club that, you know, the results have sort of fallen off a cliff. Um, but it clearly, you know, football fans are, we're all notorious for being very fickle and, looking at what's happened right now in front of our noses rather than trying to look through the prism of a much bigger picture. So it's inevitable that somebody sitting down analysing something to do with their football club is going to be influenced by how they felt about the last couple of results or the last couple of months of results. Um, So, yeah, I think that's important. Um, Just on the 57-ish percent that uh, think he's right for the long term. I think it's important that there's about 30% also that uh, aren't sure and say needs more time. So yes. if you add that together, it actually gives you about 85% of people who either say yes or let's have a little bit more time to think about it. So it reduces, I think, the sense of people who say he's not the right guy who actually take that definite stance. That's just 12.5%. So I was actually surprised by that, you know. Mm. I, I, thought, I thought that was quite generous, I think. T- I, I taking expected... the temperature of kind of social media uh, as you do, I thought 
there'd be more in the no camp at this point than, than there seemed to be in this survey. It's encouraging, don't you think, uh, that that 38, 30.8% might not think he's the right manager for the long term, but think he does need more time before they make a decision. Art, oh, you surely would have been uh, encouraged by um, Arsenal appointing a young manager. Uh, do you still f share the optimism? I was mostly encouraged, but there were, of course, those little reservations with it being his first job. I don't think anyone can hide from that. And... I think what probably encouraged me most when he walked through the door for his first press conference was how he he engaged that discussion about it being his first job rather than hiding away from it. He kind of fronted up and took, <laughs> to use a, a phrase that he used the other day, took the bullets. <laughs> but I think since then, he definitely did encourage with how the team changed in his first few weeks. But again, it's now time to prove himself again and I, I feel that yes I was also surprised of how how low the 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 no response was but um, there is going to be a time where that increases I think if uh, results don't improve of course stopping the rot with uh, a draw against Southampton is uh, a step in a sense <laughs> it is I, I, I know that's probably not what people would have expected to hear a year ago, but it is a step in a sense. And um, hopefully they can continue to build on that. Quite, was it? The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single draw against Southampton. Wasn't that the phrase? Um, the rest of these, uh, the rest of the questions actually are about uh, personnel. So we can, we can talk about some of these. Um, did Mikel Arteta sell the right goalkeeper? 67% said yes. 33% said no. Um, I've got to be honest with you, guys. I'm in the no category. I, I thought Emmy Martinez was outstanding in the last eight games of the season. I know, uh, Amy, when we talked about this on the pod a few weeks ago, you were talking about the fact that we haven't seen him tested in front of crowds. He hasn't been through a bad period. But I, I thought he looked like an upgrade. But you can tell me I'm wrong, if you'd like. <laughs> Well, is, is that down to me? <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> it usually is. <laughs> thanks. I, I I struggle with this question. I still struggle with it. I think I yeah. struggled with it at the time. And one of the reasons it's so hard, I suppose, is, is that there's the element of the not quite unknown, but the very little known. Um, it's just that there was such a small sample size of Martinez uh, performances to measure against much, much more experience. Uh, of Leno and I, I suspect that that was a factor um, you know they're, they're two quite different goalkeepers as well so it's a bit do you want a coffee or, or a tea that's quite difficult to um, and I still sometimes I think Arsenal sometimes miss the presence that Martinez brought that cockiness he's bigger bigger person bigger man um, but it, there are those I know within the club who seem to think it was a no-brainer and that Leno was perceived as the better goalkeeper. And I, I, I'm still not sure. Um, I think that, that it might take a little bit longer. I was really intrigued by Leno's comments, though, yesterday. Um, I don't know if you guys saw them mm. uh, after the Southampton game. Um, he, he, he normally is uh, quite... Uh, cautious and careful with how he speaks he's a straight guy but I, I was surprised to see him come out with uh really quite strong views that were quite critical so he said the coach is the least reason for us being in this situation if you look at how we sometimes walked around on the pitch then the only fault lies with the players i have to say that honestly we get red cards make mistakes are disorganized these are things that we have clearly addressed a thousand times in the end, that's a lack of focus among the players. Uh, the coach is not an issue in the dressing room and there's no criticism of him. We criticise ourselves and the players know they are responsible. There were just too many poor results and disappointing performances. And this is where it gets interesting. The attitude is bad. There is a lack of discipline. Many factors are currently coming together. We have addressed this very clearly internally and everyone agrees that we have to change that very quickly. Well, not that I want to be swayed just by one statement, but the fact that he stood up and made it makes me think, OK, you know what everyone talks about leaders, James, in the uh, in the dressing room? That, that sounds like a leader, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it also sounds to me like a frustrated goalkeeper is losing his mind with the guys playing in front of him a little bit. <laughs> well, who uh, wouldn't? Yeah, but I I think the person who will take most encouragement from that really is, is Mikel Arteta. And it's yes. effectively an endorsement of the coach on the player's behalf. Um, and I think we saw that in the recent game against Southampton. I, I don't think at any point it's quite looked like these players are have turned their back on their manager or aren't trying for him. I think they're just uh, failing at the present time. Uh, but I, yeah, I thought, thought they were very, very strong words from Leno. And I think, you know, he's done well for the most part this season. It's, it's a real toss-up, I think, between these two goalkeepers. But ultimately, the money was on the table for Martinez and not for Leno. And I think the club had to take the money for one. And so to an extent, the decision was made for them. Yeah, Art, let's be fair. I mean, we hardly managed to offload loads of players we didn't want in the summer, but Martinez was someone we got 20 million quid for. Yeah, and I think if you looked at that fee a year ago, everyone would would have taken it. I think with Martinez, it, it was a really hard decision for those looking on the outside, so it must have been even harder for those on the inside, I think. But the fact that you have Leno there as well just may, may have made the uh, decision that much easier. I feel uh, like you said earlier, Ian, uh, I was very impressed by Martinez when he stepped in. I feel he brought a calmness to the side and was very much a key part in the way uh, Arteta wanted Arsenal to play out from the back, whereas I feel Leno, that's not really his strongest suit. That being said, I think where Leno shines more is being a bit more of a commanding goalkeeper. Uh, I feel that's where he may get the nod a bit more often. And with with the way things panned out in the summer, I can understand why um, why Martinez was let go, even though I may not agree with it 100%. No. No, well, these are all... I mean, let's be fair, these are all opinions. And as you said, Amy, people within the club, and I remember you saying this at the time, thought that, uh, that Leno, choosing Leno over Martinez, was a no-brainer. There are other questions here about some of the, um, the back... Uh, the players at the back that we've got. Um, one about, um, was it right to extend David Luiz's contract after yet another costly red card just after lockdown? Um, Amy, the timing of that was was not great. Um, again, I've just mentioned leaders in the dressing room. They do say that David Luiz is a leader in the dressing room. And I've heard it said on TV as well, I think. Maybe Sunez said that we miss him when he's not playing. 45% said yes, it was right to extend his contract. 55% said no. Um, what's your opinion? I think that they were a bit stuck. I Perhaps... I mean, the whole thing stems from the fact it was quite a weird deal uh, to be signing a player like that for a one year contract with an option um, seems a little bit uh, unusual uh, business rights from from Arsenal. Um, however, they had an emergency situation when Koscielny was off and that was a solution. But what it did do was put them in the situation where one year on, you either take that option and extend or wave bye bye. And because of COVID, that year was up when there was still quite a few games of the season to play um, and it felt like events conspired even more strongly because there was injuries to a lot of centre-backs um, Mari was out and I think Chambers was out with long-term injuries so so you were in a situation where perhaps without that maybe you look at the fact that he came in with a big personality that everybody knows about uh, people like him a lot inside the dressing room He's a good influence, especially on young players. Um, however, performances were um, riddled with a few too many red cards and penalties given away. And it was reasonable to think maybe there's another centre-back that Arsenal be, should be paying that wage to. But because of the circumstances, they were screwed, really. You know, I don't see a way that they could have sensibly not continued uh maybe there was a compromise to be made and say get to the end of the season but having said that david louise put in a absolutely insanely good performance um against man city in the semi-final of the cup so you can see what he's capable of and that's always been the issue is the ups and downs of david louise it's it's extreme stuff he can be incredibly good and incredibly frustrating uh in the same game so um maybe in the longer term there'll be uh, an evolution there but I 
I get why they did it. Incredibly good and incredibly frustrating. Sounds like a, a perfect Arsenal player, uh, to be honest. Um, I mean, while we're talking about centre-halves, um, James, William Saliba, um, there was a question about should Mikel Arteta have registered William Saliba in his Europa League squad? 68% said yes, 30% said it's not Arteta's fault. Arsenal could not arrange a loan move that, were considered, that was considered more beneficial. Um, now, my, my hopes for William Saliba are based purely on what you said on this podcast about <laughs> nine months ago when you went, we've really got one here. Now, since that time, he's had a lot of, you know, personal problems, as I understand it. He's been sent off a couple of times to the under-23s, but wouldn't the, the Europa League squad have been a perfect place for him going up against lesser teams and just to develop a little bit? Yeah, yeah. It's It was a real cock-up on Arsenal's part, I think, to not register him for the Europa League and then not manage to get him out on loan. It's really, you know, it's half a season of his development slowed to stasis effectively. Um, and I think it's a real shame. And listen, there's been a lot of talk, like you say, about his personal life, but I'm sure the distraction of playing competitive football matches probably would have been quite welcome for him. And uh, I, I feel enormously for William Saliba because... He had a fantastic reputation in France. I do think he's a really talented player. He arrived at Arsenal as a big signing, you know, thirty odd million pound for a teenage centre half. He missed a French Cup final to come here early to be with this team to settle in and you know adapt to pre-season training. And he's not figured. And I think it's um, it must be incredibly disappointing for him. And I think it also is a a concerning sort of use of that resource. You know, Arsenal have put a lot of money into this player in this project. Now, granted, that is a, a long-term project and we might see the benefit down the road. But I do think that come January, this situation desperately needs fixing. You know, there's talk about another possible loan for him. Um, to be frank, given where we are with our Premier League position, I almost wonder if it's worth keeping him around and seeing how he fares in English football, uh, just because, you know, I don't think our league season's going anywhere in a hurry and we almost might as well develop a young centre-half. But uh, whatever happens, uh, I really hope he's playing soon and I hope he shows people what he can do because it's easy to be dismissive of him given the last few months that he's had and how little we've seen of him, but this is a player with loads of ability who theoretically provides a solution for Arsenal and I'm crossing all my fingers for him. Well, I, I, honestly, you do give me hope here, uh, James. I, <laughs> I might say. look like a real fool, mightn't I, down the line, but you well, put your flag we are recording sometimes. this. We, this is being recorded, so know, we'll, yeah. uh, we'll see where we are. I'm with you, um, James. Thanks, Amy. Yeah, I, and so. I as well. Okay, well, let's see. I mean, I have bought him for my PlayStation team, so I'll let you know how he gets on. Um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, there was a question. Should they have sanctioned the sale of Ainsley Maitland-Niles? 50.5% said no, 18.5% said yes, 31% needs more time uh, for them to decide, I guess. Um, Art... I mean, we've all got a sort of... We seem to have an emotional connection with Ainsley Maitland-Niles above a lot of players in the team. I remember when there was talk about him being sold to Wolves and a lot of people were, were upset about that. Um, I certainly felt that way. What about you? Yeah, I, I, was, I was be firmly in that 50% saying no. I was very upset, if that's the right word to use, um, when those links arose. And I think uh, it was a no-brainer to keep him at the club. I think... From, from the bunch of players at the club right now, he's probably the one that's uh, displayed what, what it's been like to play under Mikel Arteta most. We've seen him uh, favoured uh, in the early weeks uh, where he was used more in that inverted wing-back role. Then he was out of favour for a while and had to use the lockdown period to really get back in Mikel Arteta's good books. And he kind of could maybe serve as an example to... Uh, Gwenduzi, for instance, uh, who's still a little bit in the lurch on loan, uh, as what as to what could happen if you do impress Mikel Arteta again. Uh, of course, we've seen that he hasn't been used as much in the Premier League recently. Versatility that he offers and the quality that he offers on top of that is essential for Arsenal moving forward and not many players can replicate that. I think, personally, I feel... Bukayo Saka is the only other player that can match him in in those regards. And he is a player that I feel deserves m more chances 
to play regularly for the first team in the Premier League. Well, uh, he might get those chances. Um, I mean, one of the uh, two of the questions actually were about the central midfield. Uh, one was Granite Xhaka and Danny Ceballos. Can they still play together? Um, and the other one was about Torreira or Guendouzi and whether Arteta should have kept either the, either of them or both of them. Uh, Amy, we'll start with Granite Xhaka and Danny Ceballos. We have moaned regularly on this podcast about the lack of, I don't know, just forward drive with those two, really. And yet we won the FA Cup with those two, beating Manchester City and Chelsea on the way. Well, therein uh, lies the conundrum. Um <laughs> The enigma, call it what you will. Only, oh, Amy, sorry, only 7.8% said yes, they can still play together. Oh, well, there you go. There's a lot of people who are, um, who are struggling to, um, uh, to feel the love that they maybe felt and the support, um, the impressions that they had around the time of the Cup semi-final final. And it, I think that must be one of the things that... I mean, I, I feel like in this year... Maybe in future, Mikel Arteta will be able to reflect a bit more about how much he's learnt. He obviously came into this with a lot of very strong ideas about what he thinks works, what he's seen along the way and what he wants to try and implement. But there must be certain things that he's thought, God, I didn't expect that. And I suppose if you've rehabilitated these two players like he did last year to the point where they were a really important platform to winning the cup, um, they both excelled. In the in the biggest games, uh, you probably don't expect that to just evaporate in the way that it has. And the two players who were on a down when he arrived, who he brought up, have gone back to a down again. And how do you manage that? And I presume that that influenced also his choices on Torreira and Ganduzi going out. So the two situations are linked, um, and it uh, your again, always influenced by what's going on right in front of you. And Ganduzi's been getting rave reviews in Berlin, uh, ex- extremely good in the Bundesliga, uh, seems a player who's um, offering a lot. Torreira is at the team at the top of La Liga at the moment. He's still still not getting that much game time, but you know that may change, but he's involved in a, a very, very good team. Um, feels to me at the moment that probably uh, they've got the better side of the deal than Arsenal. Uh, and I wonder whether Arteta revisits those decisions around all of those midfielders um, and, and, and maybe learns something. Uh, uh, James, I mean, when Torreira and Gunduzi turned up, uh, they both came in with Unai Emery, right? And, um, uh, and, and straight away, we looked at Torreira and thought, wow, this is the holding midfield player we've been waiting for for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. And when Guendouzi, Guendouzi played a storming game against Spurs, didn't he? And we won that game. And we thought, oh, there we go. And yet they both fell out of favour. Um, I mean, the survey said that 20, 20% said we should keep Guendouzi and 30% said we should keep uh, Torreira. Um, what's your views on this? I mean, I think Amy's basically said maybe we've we picked the wrong two yeah certainly whatever sorcery Mikel Arteta was using to make Danny Ceballos and Granit Xhaka work as a partnership that has uh, the spell has been broken sadly well was it the three was it the five at the back I think or that the three at the back that enormously worked? helped them and I think if you look at Granit Xhaka's Arsenal career as a whole generally he has fared better with three centre-halves behind him you know you think back to 2017 the FA Cup win over Chelsea the run we had towards the end of that season he was playing next to Aaron Ramsey in that position um, three centre-backs behind him I think it protects him to to an extent and uh, hides a lot of his weaknesses so I think that's part of it as for Torreira and Guendouzi I mean Torreira you know nothing seemed to go for him in England you know I just feel that he was not happy here and listen if you're playing every week and in a successful team that helps but it seemed like every transfer window he was linked with a return to Italy or potentially Spain as it eventually turned out I felt to an extent that Arsenal might have been fighting a losing battle on that front Ganduzi, I think is a really fascinating one because he was he's one of those characters that's so there's a natural friction to his personality and actually it can always go one of two ways and I I think my instinct was that he and Arteta 
might be really good for each other. You know, that in the same way that Genduzi had a fantastic understanding with Unai Emery, that Arteta might see those combative qualities in this young man and be able to harness them and turn them into, you know, part of a successful team. Obviously, it went the other direction, but of the two, he's probably the one where I'd say I'd have more regrets. I think there is a big force of personality in Genduzi. And if somebody, if a coach finds a way you know, to channel that appropriately. I think there's a, a big player in there. I mean, we're going to discuss um, in the second uh, part of the podcast, um, James and uh, also David Ornstein wrote a piece uh, about where Arsenal are now. And one of the things um, you were talking about mm. was the uh, the discipline uh, side of things and the way that different players seem to be treated in a different way. And you, you contrasted Willian, uh, perhaps, with, uh, with you know coming back from Dubai and playing mm -hmm. with the way that Guendouzi's been sort of sidelined. Um, I guess that one's going to run and run. Um, Art, can I ask you about Pepe? Um, I mean, the question was, can Arteta unlock and harness the mercurial talent uh, of Pepe? Um, I mean, 45% said yes. I mean, that's not great for someone who cost, who or who will cost in total 72 million quid. I, I wouldn't say 45% is what most of us would have expected from that. I probably would hope it'd be a bit more than that, but I would be in that yes column, uh, even though I feel Pepe, with the way that he ended last season especially, probably deserved a bit more of a chance in the Premier League, especially at the start of this season whereas those chances were given to Willian, I do feel that he is a player that can offer Arsenal a lot more going forward. Uh, the big takeaway for me, really, from last season, under Arteta specifically, was how he wanted him to be a bit less predictable. And I feel that he's somewhat shown that. Uh, the, probably the best example was his performance in the FA Cup final, where he didn't just stay on the right wing, but he... He roamed about the Wembley pitch quite a lot and got into decent areas to really cause problems for Chelsea on the day. And we've seen him do that in flashes again this season, but it is about getting that consistency. And I feel the way Arteta managed him in in the first half of this season, I could, if we could say that, um, I think it could have been a little bit better, but uh, before... Uh, the October international break, there were signs that Pepe was really taking his chances in, in the games he was getting off the bench. Uh, since then, I feel he's shown that again after the red card against Leeds with how he's performed in the Europa League. But again, it's just about ha having to produce like that on a more regular basis in the Premier League. And I think just having more um, strings to his bow than cutting onto his left foot and whipping across into the box is going to help. So it's just about unlocking those uh, ideas in his mind, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get Amy, I guess uh, headbutting Alioski was pretty unpredictable, wasn't it? Nobody <laughs> predicted that. I say headbutting, of course. I mean, basically putting his head against Alioski uh, when I say that. This also, by the way, ties into the other one about Willian as well, because Willian has been in the team really instead of him. Um, what's your views on Pepe, uh, um Amy, do you think that uh, Arteta can be the one to unlock and harness the mercurial talent? I, I like Pepe and I think like a lot of players who don't get a consistent run, it can be quite difficult sometimes to find your rhythm. Um, I also think as a personality that he's someone that if there's too much responsibility on him to make to make the difference, I think that's not naturally what, what he's most suited. I think he wants to be kind of part of the gang, but because there's this sort of pervasive dysfunction at the moment in terms of Arsenal's attack, I don't think that is ideal for him. But I, I still believe I'm a believer. I don't know why, maybe that's naive, but I think he's got something. And if we, if Arsenal can get the right vibes around him uh, and let him have plenty of game time, uh, I, I just think this this particular moment when there's so much pressure, it's really difficult. Just on a side note, I, I don't know what you guys think, but watching the game uh, against Southampton and to an extent against Burnley, it's not been the best week, let's face it. Um, I just thought that the, the faces of the players were interesting and struck me. And 
just thought you could see such tension and such almost fear of failure and such anxiety. That's what I thought was, uh, it stayed in my mind really, how you turn that around. And after what Bernd Leno said, which is obviously, you know, really critical, I do feel that sometimes it's very difficult for players when you just feel that everything's going to go wrong. And you, you, I don't know, you can't quantify how much that sort of burden of like, this is a disaster and I don't really know what to do and I don't know if I really want the ball and I don't know um, what to do with it because it's just so much pressure. It, it seems to be such a a difficult thing to crack. I don't know what is going to be the thing that's going to turn that around and make everybody feel better and feel like they can express themselves more. But maybe there's a link between that fear and the fact that Arsenal finding it so difficult to express themselves. And that maybe well, there's a, it, the fact that the youngsters like Saka and um, Maitland-Niles, as Art pointed out before, are the ones who seem best equipped to handle it. Less, when you're less younger, fear. You just don't have so much stress in your head. Art, you lucky boy. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how hard life is, Art. Honestly, you wait until you're on a bad run. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> sorry, didn't want to disappoint you. I've gone off you. topic, sorry, Art. <laughs> could, could I just say something on Pepe quickly as well? Because I think with him, it really helps when he has an actual right back that can do th that job well behind him. Because when it's just him um, against a left, a left midfielder and a left back, they're just going to double off on him. And it, it makes his job that much harder. Whereas where, when he has a right back that can pull, pull a defender an extra defender away from him, it maybe just gives him that, much, that bit much more space where he just has that much more freedom to do what he actually wants to do. And I just think uh, Brighton was a real example of that, where Bellerin was playing right back, but he was almost playing in midfield for most of the game. And all, I think, the first four of Pepe's dribbles were around the outside of the left back. And then when he cut in on, onto his left foot on his fifth dribble, that's when he had the space to score. And... It's just something that I thought was quite um, might be quite interesting in terms of how we assess the way Pepe plays. Yeah, yeah. This, these things are not happening alone. I think that's a fair point, James. I mean, one other question. We were going to talk about Willian. The question was, Willian a good transfer? Can I just say 4.2% said yes and 14.5% said needs more time. I mean, you're talking, you were talking, uh, James, earlier about William Saliba and said £30 million, that's money well spent. Is £30 million been money well spent or will be money well spent on Willian when it comes out at the end of three years? Just trying to figure out who that 4% are. I didn't know. <laughs> it's not any know, of us. I uh, Edu and Kia and Willian all subscribe to Athletic, <laughs> but I'm glad that they're on the voting. I, um, listen, there was a logic that you could uh, that you could get behind, I think, for this signing in that he was an experienced player with Premier League pedigree who would make an immediate impact. Of course, we're now halfway through his first season, uh, the season where he was due, supposed to, intended to hit the ground running, um, and it's not happened for him at all. And you you have to look at that and say, so far it looks like a pretty disastrous deal. And the fear, I suppose, is that it will get worse. The only thing I would say is, you know, Willian's always going to get hard time for off Arsenal fans because he arrived from Chelsea. And that's, you know, something that you accept when you move from rival club to rival club. But this isn't a guy without any ability. I mean, if Lee was here, he's, he's a player that Lee really admires, you know, and he can see his calibre, he can see what he's capable of. I don't know if we'll ever get that at Arsenal, but I know what we're seeing from him isn't his level. And... I mean, time is running out for him to kind of have any chance of winning around the fans. He needs to find something from somewhere and Arteta needs to help him too. But it is kind of shocking, I think, you know, just how disappointing he's been given the reputation he arrived with. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, right now, if you're grading it or if you're making the decision on the poll, it has to be a no. I'd have to be with the 81%. Yeah, uh, Amy, I mean, with Willie Ann, I know uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, Willie Ann. I initially thought 
that Mikel Arteta might play him as a number 10. I thought, well, he's an incredibly skillful guy who might be able to find that pass. But there's been no sign of him going there. He's tried uh, Lacazette in there and various people. So he obviously wants him in the position that Pepe wants to play in as well. So how, where does that leave us if, if we've got a guy on £10 million a year? And I don't want to go on about the wages, but it seems such a an insane amount of money for a club that were counting the pennies to a certain extent. How does this get fixed? Well, I think it get, gets fixed um, not necessarily directly. And what I mean by that is somewhere along the line, Arsenal have to make some very, very strong thoughts and decisions about what they want to be trying to do and this deal was a remnant of the era when Raul Sanyehi was uh, in charge of the comings and goings and his friendships with uh, people associated with Willian are are known Um, not saying that influences the deal I don't know however there are you know you have to ask whether it's the right use of resources and you're right to ask that question and you know i've heard people say look it's a free transfer so you know that's why it looks it's always going to look like a deal when it's a free transfer but it's not free i've got news for you guys this ain't free this is not zero money you know there's significant funds that are directed towards his not inconsiderable wage and associated fees um and whether that was the best use of arsenal's money for someone of that age for three years there are other questions that are related to that we can ask of other squad members. Um, Arsenal have to stop doing this. It's very short-termist. It's I can see why they get talked into these kind of ideas. Um, it slightly made me wonder that Mikel Arteta seemed so keen on it. I, w- I would have been interested if he had challenged that and said, hey, can we use that salary somewhere else? Can we try something else? There's a bigger picture to all of this. In the shorter term, Arteta's charged with trying to um, get better performances from Willian. But again, I, I like you, if, you, if you're going to make a go of it with Pepe and then you bring in Willian, there's a kind of a strange conflict there where they're both probably vying for a similar position, uh, where other positions are woefully short. Uh, playmaker, number 10. We all know about that oh. one. Well, as you brought it up, Amy, (laughs) one of the other questions, uh, there are two questions uh, that we haven't dealt with and we'll briefly go there. Where should Aubameyang play? Um, I mean, my God, we've had this conversation uh, a million times. Just for your information, because I think we've been around this loads, 40.6% said he should play central at number nine, although the header from Tierney's cross uh, against Burnley would suggest otherwise. Um, uh, that's what they said. 31% said left wing. Um, uh, but the the other question, should Arteta add Ozil to the squad in January? Uh, can we just go round the panel for this one? Uh, James, what do you think? Uh, I don't think he can. I think it, I think it, I think it, I think it damages his Too much water under the bridge? Yeah, I think it damages his credibility almost too much to do it. And I don't think it will happen. If it was a purely technical question, then yes. But for the from a manager's perspective, I'd have to say no. Art? If it was a straightforward decision, I'd say yes. I feel that that's probably what most people would like to happen. But when you consider that Meta Ozil's contract is up in 2021, this summer coming up, is he going to want to risk an injury and have that kind of way on his future from a personal point of view and is Mikel Arteta going to want to kind of go back on his own words I'm, I'm not sure he's going to want to so um, if, if it was me I would I did I did in football manager <laughs> and um, yeah yeah and, it football managers it, I mean he, he did all right but I, I ended up selling him anyway <laughs> but yeah um, does football does football manager factor in the Chinese governments and the Chinese <laughs> market's view of his comments on the Uyghur Muslims? I mean, it's it, um, Amy. Do you have a view about whether he should add him? I'm sure you have a view. What is your view? Well, my main view when I looked at the survey results was just a t- tinge of disappointment about the 0.1 percent or whatever because it was so nearly an exact Brexit vote. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think would have been really yes. apt, mm. you know, for something so yes. binary and divisive and uh, yeah. emotionally yeah. charged. 
Um, so I was, are you uh, saying are you saying we should send gunboats to to Mikel Arteta's house or something to persuade him? I mean, I'm trying to work look, out what the connection it, is. It like. ain't happening. No, uh, I think it's a bit fanciful. It's just gone so far, and I suppose if I wanted any resolution to the situation in a fantasy world, it's that somehow Arsenal would um, you know, go to the money tree and pick off enough uh, that they could actually probably pay Meza out of the rest of the contract. So it was over in January rather than waiting for another few months, but also have enough left over to buy an, an, another playmaker, whoever the hell that's going to be, but someone who can walk in and hopefully help the team. Yes, one of the questions that came up when we talked about our defence was, uh, should Mikel Arteta have cashed in on Hector Bellerin uh, in the summer? 54% said no, 46 almost 46% said yes. Uh, Amy, he doesn't seem to have kicked on in the way that we'd hoped, which I guess is reflected in these figures. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And um, I do feel, though, it's a slightly complex one, partly because uh, Bellerin's personality sort of stands for something as well. And I also think that having people around the club that are reliable, um, dependable and have those club values... It, it does mean something. And even though he hasn't kicked on and there's frustration reflected in those re results, maybe because of that, uh, in the summer, it maybe wasn't the ideal time to sell just because there was so much, um, uh, there's so much that, that needs urgent attention that didn't feel to me like a high priority unless they were going to get a fantastically good fee. No, and that obviously was a huge problem in the summer, offloading anyone. Uh, Art, from your point of view, would you rather have a right back uh, who was environmentally aware and uh, LGBT aware or, I don't know, Alexander Arnold, say? Not that I'm saying that he's not those things, but you understand the point I'm making. Uh, I, I, whoever plays football better, <laughs> that's my answer, I think. Um, it's great that Hector Bellerin has the, I guess, makes the stances that he does, but in the end... Um, I'm not really thinking about that when he's playing football. <laughs> and I'm not sure any Arsenal fan would be. Um, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's a good, great thing. But I feel what matters most is what he's doing on the pitch. And I think when, when the summer came around, I probably wouldn't have cashed in just because I don't think it would have been an ideal time to do so with him in particular. Yes, there was Cedric... Cedric being given a, a long-term deal and Maitland now still at the club, but I don't think that area of the pitch was one to make rash decisions on at the time. And I think that's probably going to come uh, maybe in, in the months to follow. Quite. Oh, I'm sure quite a lot of decisions are going to be made in the months to follow. Uh, James, uh, do you have a, uh, a strong feeling towards Hector Bellerin? It is a bit 50-50, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I, to be honest, I think that was probably reflected with Arsenal too, because I think there was probably a price at which they would have done this deal, um, but it didn't. It didn't reach that level, and so they kept the player. And I think uh, just to touch on sort of what the discussion about Hector off the pitch, I have to say, it kind of works both ways. You know, what he, what he does on the pitch matters first and foremost, but. At a time when there isn't a huge amount to be excited about on the field, it is nice to have things within the club, external things that you can take satisfaction, you can take pride from. And I think he's a fantastic ambassador for the club. So Hector the person and Hector the player, you know, people have different feelings on both. But I think uh, I, I'm glad that he's still here and he represents an Arsenal that I feel an affinity to. <laughs> We better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. This is the Handbrake Off podcast for The Athletic with me, Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas and Art de Roche. Uh, James, along with David Ornstein, you wrote a piece uh, which is in The Athletic uh, today titled Arsenal FC The Decline. Now... I have to say, James, it made for grim reading. Uh, the stuff on executive departures, the lack of punctuality at the training ground. Oh, my God, it would drive me nuts. What some see as Mikel Arteta's premature change of job title from head coach to manager, the disjointed transfer strategy, the unbalanced squad. 
I mean, I don't know where to start, James. Tell us what, what your, your takeouts from this are. I'm just really. glad uh, you didn't ask me how to fix it. No, you didn't come up with a solution. You just laid out in very stark detail what is wrong. And that's, that's a good start, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the league table and when you look at the sentiment that exists among the supporters, the way people are feeling, I think it is worth sometimes retracing your steps and trying to figure out exactly how you got here because I think there are lessons to be learned and when we were talking about Willian in part one Amy touched on short-term decisions and I think there has been so much upheaval at Arsenal behind the scenes the club has kind of changed hands in terms of who's been not just owning but running it uh, with a frequency that that isn't healthy and it's meant that a lot of decisions have been taken almost on the fly, you know, without a coherent strategy behind them. And Arsenal have paid for that. They've really paid for it uh, on the pitch and they've paid for it financially too. They're still paying for it. I mean, the amount of money that's been left on the table for players that we've been not, not been able to recoup fees for. You know, even if you look at the squad this season, there are a, a number of players who are likely to leave for nothing at the end of the season. Uh, and in the meantime, are earning very, very healthy salaries on, on the club's books. And it doesn't speak to good management. It doesn't speak to efficient management. And it, it is it is a, a bleak and concerning situation. But I, I also think that fixing it is something that's going to take time. And, you know, we talked about this survey at length and, and one of the, the answers that kept coming up is needs more time. And actually, I'm quite encouraged by that, that Arsenal supporters recognise yes. that a lot of these situations are not quick fixes. Um, and it's interesting, you know, with Unai Emery, he had a similar run to the one Mikel Arteta's just experienced and people were really, really clamouring for him to go. And I think... To a certain extent, people look at this now and they see another coach suffering similar problems with the same group of players, pretty much. And they say, well, look, maybe that isn't the solution. Maybe this is a fire this club has to go through. And maybe this is a churn and an evolution and a rebuild that has to happen. Because I do think a lot of the decisions that have been made at Arsenal, you know, Ken Early, actually, on the second captain's podcast, he coined a great phrase. He talked about status anxiety. You know, Arsenal have handed out these contracts, made these signings out of status anxiety of trying to cling to something that they were or quickly regain uh, yes. Champions League standing. That hasn't worked. And I don't think it's going to work. I think Arsenal need to do now what they've been putting off for some time, and that is commit to a proper rebuilding project. And the likelihood is, you know, you want to have one manager to see that through. And they believe that is Mikel Arteta. And that's the reason his position is safe right now, because whatever is happening in the short term, they believe he is the guy they want to lead this next phase. And it will take time and it will be painful. But I hope the key decision makers truly do decide, truly do commit to a long term strategy, because frankly, the quick fixes haven't worked. Uh, Art, I, I mean, I would agree with with what James said there that this long term strategy is what is required and and really sweeping changes, if you like. But do you think? I mean, I was reading the other day about um, signing. You know, when 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 Hector Bellerin is not uh, available, Cedric doesn't get in as right back. Well, that doesn't that doesn't show that they have these are signings that that Mikel Arteta uh, has made. Uh, that doesn't show a huge amount of faith. Does it? And, and and doesn't show that there's coherent thinking as yet. Can I just pop in with a quick comment there? Yes. When you say Mikel Arteta made that signing, I'm not sure that that was a signing he really, really wanted to make. Just going right. to leave that there. No, you know what? OK, fair enough. But there is... The, OK, fair enough. But there is a lack of coherent thinking still. You know, just clearing out Unai Emery has not changed that art, right? Yeah, I think it's a much longer term problem than most people would like to believe it is because when when you see how extreme Twitter especially gets at times, it's very much a, a blame game on there at times. And who who is to blame? Uh, there's probably many people, but I wouldn't say Mikel Arteta is the first man that needs blame. Of course, there are some decisions he makes which he can question, for, for instance, who who starts which games and what system he uses and stuff like that. But 
in the longer term, I do feel it's an issue that's been bubbling, bubbling along since the late uh, Arsene Wenger era through the Unai Emery era. And now we're seeing similar problems crop up under um, Mikel Arteta. And I think that what is really telling as well from an Arsenal standpoint is that he was given a longer contract than Unai Emery was initially. And I think that shows how much um, how much Arsenal would want to stick by him, even with this rocky period that, that Arsenal are going through at the moment. I feel they're, they're not going to want to be perceived as a club that makes rash decisions, even though there have been a few <laughs> over the past few years. And um, with the way that Arteta started, especially, I think they're going to feel that he does have at least some answers to get them through, even if those answers aren't particularly prevalent at the minute. Well, Amy, your piece, you wrote a piece after the Burnley game on Sunday night, which I went to, by the way, and I enjoyed the entire experience up to the point when the ball was kicked off, at <laughs> 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 which point it went a little bit downhill. And thank you, by the way, also for explaining what that constant thrum and hum was. <laughs> the eco water pump, which you wouldn't normally hear with 60,000. Not that we're going to get... Yes, that. that, that yeah? Yes. Um, but you did talk about the unremitting pain of Sunday nights, which <gasps> is a great title for a show, by the way. Um, but anyway, um, the headline, Arteta must stop rewarding experienced players for bad performances. Well... He started with that uh, in the game against Southampton in midweek. He actually he took out Lacazette. He took out Willian. He's taken his time over it, but maybe he's finally decided this is what needs to happen. Maybe he listened to you, Amy. I wouldn't go that far. Um, <laughs> I, I, and also, some of it was forced with the the latest round of suspensions. Um, so yeah, I I, I still think. I, 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 it was such an obvious thing to do for the Burnley game. That's why it felt so shocking that it didn't happen. Yes. Um, and it, looking back at that Burnley game, it does feel like a peculiar form of sort of masochism, really, that everything about that match. <laughs> well, can I just say that I texted you and said, are you here? And you said, yes, I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not the answer I was expecting. I just thought, yeah, it's great, eh? But no, so I understand. It, it did feel quite painful being there. Yeah, and I the Burnley uh, contingent were, uh, I, where my position in the press area was, was just behind them. And honestly, I'm not joking. Their faces at the end, they... Absolutely. However bad Arsenal were, did not expect to win that game. They looked astonished. Their players and their staff were all like, it wasn't a kind of like happy euphoria celebration. It was like, how the f*** have we done this? They did not <laughs> expect to win this game. Whatever they were hoping yes. to get out of it, I'm pretty sure it was a nil-nil best. So yeah, it did feel sort of particularly torturous. Uh the Burnley players celebrated right in front of us, where where myself and Alexander, my son, were sitting. Ashley Barnes, I just was look, I, I, trying to give him hateful looks. He was ignoring me completely. Because uh, uh, I also, I didn't really feel like swearing in a crowd of 2,000, to be honest with you. It felt a little bit, I don't know, public <laughs> or something. But, um, yeah, uh, do you think that, James, do you think that might have been the low point? Or do you hope that might have been the low point? I really hope it was. I mean... Yeah, losing at home to Burnley, I think it doesn't it doesn't get much worse. But I have to say, looking at the fixture list, exactly. I was I was just squirming in my seat actually at that point. Well, I just think there might be more acceptable defeats on the horizon. Um, you know, Everton away at the weekend. Then we play Manchester City in the cup. That's oh, Chelsea, Chelsea on Boxing Day. Oh my god! Uh, it's a tough Isn't run. confidence a mad thing? Because you know you can look at sometimes you look at fixtures and you think, oh yeah, we could win that, and then we could win that. And sometimes you look at fixtures and every single one of them looks horrifying. Look, we don't want to bring people down too much, but you should buy, <laughs> read. Well, you know, we don't, but you should read both these pieces because they're beautifully written and uh, uh, and they do sum up very, very um, succinctly uh, where we're at at the moment. Uh, Art, uh, you've written a piece uh, out uh, yesterday, in fact, on the Athletic uh, website. One step forward, two steps back. Uh, you were talking about Saka and Maitland-Niles helping Arsenal get forward. I think from the game against Burnley, I know we, we were speaking about that, it just felt like more of the same. And there was a danger of that against Southampton with the Gabriel red card, of course. But 
what really was the promising thing for me looking at the game anyway was the kind of switch back to a, a back three even though when I've asked Mikel Arteta about that he said it's it's a bit of both they kind of use it all the time for different phases of play and you can really see that with the way Bukayo Saka and Maitland-Niles play as those wing backs which who kind of slide in and out of that wing back role and I think they just offer a lot more uh, space and better angles for Bernd Leno to hit and the centre-backs to hit when they're trying to play out from the back. But then, again, like against Burnley, the problem was just what happens in the final third, of course. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang finally got his goal from open play, but it's just about doing that on a more consistent basis. And I think that's what was... Uh, the thing that that was the thing that really kind of stood out to me from from the game. James, do you think with this this thing with Arteta and the back three and the back four that he came into the club wanting to play a back four but thinking he doesn't have the personnel and he tried to do it and it obviously hasn't really worked out. Maybe maybe one of the things you learn as you get further into a job is is the flexibility almost to admit that you were wrong about something for the moment and until you get in the personnel you want, make the most of what you've got. I think that's right. And I think there was an extent to which Arsenal, I think, tried to run before they could walk. Um, you know, there was a slightly dodgy run of performances where uh, we kind of, you know, the attack stopped functioning. And I think Arteta, probably for the first time in his reign, in my interpretation, felt that pressure, you know, and he, he looked to change things. It was the first time I've ever really thought that he was sort of trying to please people with his selection. I felt like the criticism had stung him and he, he sought to fix it. I think he probably should have stuck with what he was doing and I think it's actually a really positive sign that he's returned to it. I don't doubt the long-term plan is for Arsenal to play something like a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, but we aren't there yet. Um, and we have to, I think, look in the mirror and sort of accept that. And uh, at least this system has a bit of a track record of, of getting us some results, which is what we desperately need at the moment. True. Let's have a song. Amy, would you have a song for this week for us? Yeah, I'm going to um, take my inspiration from the epic uh, advert for Arsenal's 1990s retro kit launch this week. That video is stunning, whoever is responsible for that. And the song was pretty good too, uh, Desire. Um, under your spell and the lyrics kind of feel fairly apt where it says something about I, I can't eat I can't sleep I do nothing but think of you and that kind of miserable haunting which seems fairly <laughs> resonant okay <laughs> it's a great track and yes it is a great track Art what about you I'm gonna go for Eggs Isle by Mac Miller I think with all the red cards and just constantly getting pushed back from positive um, positive signs, I think, making strides and then just getting hit back again where Arsenal are a little bit in an exile and hopefully that can change next week. <laughs> Seven red cards in this year. By the way, it's not over yet. Another two weeks and three or four games to play. Uh, that's one table I really want to be top of. Uh, James, what about you? Well, all this reminiscing about Nicola last Christmas. stadium and that's they played last Christmas and that was me and my son out of Whamageddon <laughs> so I was I was really disappointed but I guess it's very hard to avoid Have you got uh, a song at the here? moment I've got uh, keep me hanging on by the Supremes because uh, you know I, I, I sometimes I try and I try and sort of display insouciance towards the whole thing but the truth is you know 
they pull you back in, don't they? And uh, and I was at the Burnley game and I so wanted it to go well and it didn't. But I saw some signs and then the Southampton game, I saw a few more signs. So You saw um, signs am, in the Burnley game? <laughs> I did, yeah. I thought I actually thought that if Granite Xhaka hadn't have been sent off, I think we would have won that game, actually. I think we started to play mm. OK. And we did hang on against Southampton. So we did hang on against Southampton. So I'm... Uh, I, I'm I wouldn't say I'm optimistic, but I'm less pessimistic than I was. <laughs> this has been the Arsenal podcast handbrake off for The Athletic. Thank you to Art de Roche, Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas and our producer, Teo Papula. Uh, take care, everyone. See you next week. 